Glad that you're with us on this summer uh, Sunday morning. Soggy, are y'all, everybody okay? Anybody flooded out in their basement or anything? Glad that you're with us. Julie and I were in Chicago, had to go real quick uh, Friday and Saturday. My mom and dad are in Chicagoland. It was good to see them. Uh, but we, we played with the uh, storms all the way home. We left just in time to get in front of a, a front that was coming with tornadoes in it. And so in our rear view mirror, it was black spot. And we were, you know, I'm like, if I keep 70 miles an hour, we're ahead of it. And we were, and, but I had to stop for Starbucks. So we made, we made the decision, like, if we hurry at Starbucks and get back in the car, it'll be okay. So we did, got in Starbucks, got back in the car, started to drizzle, and we busted out in front of it again. But then we turned north on 69 and let it catch up. And then we got to the farthest point of 69 where, where it heads back east and two storms. We were in front of another storm, by the way. We were watching the storm in front of us, keeping in between the one behind us. But as we headed north, the two of them met right where we were at. So we were only in rain for like 10, 15 minutes uh, watching all this, worrying about you guys, worrying about Detroit. We ought to pray for Detroit. It's a mess down there. People are wet. And I don't know if you've ever had a, a basement full of water, uh, but it is miserable. It is just miserable. So we're glad you're safe. We're glad we're safe. And hey, we don't have to water our gardens this week, probably at all. So let me pray for the people in Detroit. Can we do that? Let's just pray. Father, we know there are some in our vicinity. God, we, we think of Oakwood as a 10-mile radius around the church. But God, I know that uh, in the greater area is this mega city with many, many millions of people. And so many of them are, are hurting today. God, I pray that you'd be able to get the help they need. God, I pray that it would uh, clear up as soon as possible. Lord, be with them. God, I pray the churches uh, in the area, as best they can, can help. And God, if Oakwood can somehow join that process, I just pray you'd make that clear to us, a way to, to be of a, a bright and salty uh, variety. So God, I pray you'd help us with that in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Revelation. We are getting there, people. We're in 15 and 16 today, and that means there's like four weeks left. And so uh, we're getting toward the end of, of some of the more dire, uh, dank, uh, dark uh, stuff in Revelation. We're heading to a point, I'm, I'm looking forward to where, where God describes for us the future kingdom. That's going to be fun. Those are, those are more positive things, thinking about what's it going to be like for us. I don't know if you've ever seen the measurements. I can't wait to talk to you about the measurements of the new heaven and the new earth. It's a cube and it's huge. And so I'm excited about it. I'm excited to talk about that. But we got to get through this stuff. And today specifically uh, could be discouraging. And my heart is, is worried about your hearts thinking that God in some way is is just a sinister, angry being. And I don't want you to have that thought. As you look at it today, I really want you to see what's happening in Revelation as a purposeful plan and aggressive, but it's laid out in front of us. And that's important. One thing that you might not catch as we're talking about all this, God tells us before he does it exactly what he's going to do. And so if you think this is an out-of-control rage by God, no. You don't have an out-of-control rage when you say exactly what you're going to do ahead of time, then you do exactly that. That's not out-of-control, and it is not rage. Wrath is ugly, and it is harsh, uh, but, but we'll talk about the character of God a little bit this morning. 
All right, so next week is July 4th weekend. We encourage you to be here. It's only one service at 11, so you're the ones that have to make the big change. So next week, 11 o'clock, we'll be all together. And then we'll let you know after that. We're looking very seriously at our numbers to see if we can't fit into one service for the rest of the summer. Uh, During coronavirus, we actually liked having more space for you to be spread out. Uh, But our people that come and serve, there's like 70 people that come and serve on a Sunday to make a church happen. It would be great if they had a couple of months where they only had one service. But we'll let you know about that. I know it's it's difficult, uh, and change is always difficult, and you've got a plan, you've got your system, and it upsets that a little bit. But we'll let you know as soon as we know um, if we're going to go that direction. But next week for sure, it's July 4th, it's 11 o'clock. Everybody say 11. Next week, 11 o'clock, we'll see you here for that. Let's pray this morning. Let you pray. And we're going to ask God to, to bless. He promises to bless us as we look at the book of Revelation. Let's ask for that. Would you pray this prayer? God, since I know there's something for me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Can you pray that prayer to God? God, since I know that there's something for me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray that you'd be glorified. I pray that everyone hearing this would be edified. And I pray that Satan would be horrified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That whole Satan horrified line becomes very clear today as Satan has to know what's written in the book of Revelation. I know he wants to stop it, but he can't stop it. But it's written in plain sight for everyone to see what his fate is and for the rest of the unbelieving world. The big idea today is I must praise God for his righteous character. That's what I want to hone in today. Even though as we talk about wrath and judgment, I want you to know it comes from a righteous God. Not an angry, raging God, but a righteous God. I've told you this many times. Because of God's righteousness, justice must take place. He's not a God that can say, ah, forget about it. He's not a God that can say, we'll just let that go. No, because he's righteous, he will make justice a reality. All things will be born to light and punished accordingly. Everything will be because he's a righteous God, but he's also a loving God. So as his righteousness demands justice, his love demanded mercy and grace. So he sent us his son, Jesus. And remember how I've been preaching through Revelation. God has never left his, this earth. Even though we are gone and we're in heaven, we're waiting for the final uh, judgment. Uh, he has not left this earth without a witness. Don't forget that. That's, that talks about his mercy. Even though his righteousness will be bore out, he's giving patience and time. And so that we need to know that we can praise God for his righteous character. In our passage today, I pulled out this key verse. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Quote, this is Moses' song. This is, this is what Moses implored to his people as they were about to enter into the promised land. And don't forget, Moses did not get to go with them. This is what Moses sang, even though he knew he wasn't going to get that reward. He had sinned. And God had said, because of the sin, you are not going to go in there with them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being Moses? Everybody knows Moses. Moses led the people of Israel. He led them, but he didn't get to go in. He didn't get the reward that they got. And you would, you would think that Moses would be real upset about this and going around complaining. I can't believe I got you guys all the way here and now God's kicking me out. I can't believe this. No. Here's what Moses said in part of his song to Israel. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. 
king of the nations. Moses knew that God was righteous and that his judgment was sound and right, even if it meant that he had to be punished. Here's a man facing punishment saying, he's right, he's right. Today, as we walk through this, there's two things you need to know about God's righteous character. It's either righteous anger or unrighteous anger. I want to give you a definition. Righteous anger is a chosen response to a wrong motivated by love, acting on principle. That is how God deals with sin. A chosen response to a wrong motivated by love, acting on principle. God only acts in righteous anger. Where do we see it lived out in flesh in Jesus? Can I remind you of what happened in the New Testament as Jesus came into the temple and saw them selling things in the house of God? He became angry. But I want to remind you, it was righteous anger. It was a chosen response to a wrong motivated by love, acting on principle. And many of you think, well, yeah, but he just went into a rage. He started flipping over tables. No, no. If you look in Matthew and Mark, you might assume that. But if you look in the book of John and read John's account of it, John says he came in and he saw and he stepped away and made a whip. He fashioned a whip. Did Jesus walk in and start throwing things? No. He saw what was happening and he took time to make a whip out of cords. I don't know how long this takes. I've not made whips, but I'm assuming there's some kind of a braiding that happens. I don't know. This is the difference between when we talk about arms, and I'm not going to get into a political debate, but, but you know, we talk about arming ourselves. And, and when the Constitution was written, they didn't have automatic weapons. They had, they had a, you know, a black powder. And so people didn't go into rage and just unload 90 rounds into somebody. If there was going to be something, it was like... You know what I mean? I see Jesus in the temple not walking in and unloading his, 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 his weapons. I see Jesus walking in, and he sees what's going on, and he grabs some cords. He's thinking about it. He's thinking about it. And then you know what he does with that whip? You're like, oh, yeah, but he shouldn't whip people. The Bible says he whipped the cattle and the sheep out of the temple, not the people. Then he overturned the money tables. Why? Because they're, they're, they were, they're making money. They're making money in God's house. My house will be called the house of prayer. Was Jesus unrighteously angry? No, he was righteously angry. But he wasn't out of control. And it was with much thought, which you need to understand. If you look at all the Gospels, read all the Gospel context so you can put it into a better picture. Matthew and Mark might make it seem like he walked in and started throwing people. John? He thought about it, and he did what was appropriate. That's righteous anger. Our God only does a chosen response to a wrong motivated by love acting on principle. Unrighteous anger, anger is a sinful reaction to a real or imagined wrong motivated by self-serving and unprincipled emotions. That's what I'm trying to get across to you today is I don't want you to leave today in any way thinking that God was out of control, angry. He's very much in control. That's why he tells us ahead of time exactly what he's going to do. So he won't do more than he says he's going to do or less than he says he's going to do. He's going to do what he says he's going to do in response to an actual wrong. Julie and I drove to Chicago and back in two days. That's not good. 
because that puts all the crazy drivers in my you know, purview in less than 24 hours. That's bad. I told Julie, I said, what in the world's going on? Is all the bad drivers in the world attacking us? People flying up at 100 miles an hour on my bumper. And then, and then I don't know how many people as I'm driving came into my lane. Like, not visited. They came into my lane. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I got a bubble. When, when I'm driving my truck, I got a bubble. My personal space is my bu- Don't get in my bubble. And people were driving into my bubble. Oh, I, I just was angry. You, you can ask my wife. I was angry on the way to Chicago. I was angry on the way back from Chicago, trying to avoid the storms and idiots pulling into my lane. Now, I'm going to tell you, most of my anger was unrighteous anger. It was a perceived wrong. I mean, I, I don't know. You know how we, we always make assumptions about the person driving? You know, they're, they're, they're this or they're that, or they're this gender or that gender, or this nationality or that nationality, or they're texting, obviously. I, I don't know. How many times have you accidentally gone into a lane? I, mean, I don't know. But it's a perceived wrong <laughs> with an immediate emotional reaction. I, I don't want you to think of God in that way. God is not out of control, and we're going to see that today. And I want you to remember, if you remember anything, keep remembering. He told us exactly what he is going to do. Does that seem out of control? Not at all. Well, here's where we've been. The seal judgments, all the way to the seventh seal judgment, and then that parentheses period, a little pause. And then we got the seven trumpets. We get to the seventh trumpet, and there was a longer parentheses period, a pause. It was the third woe. And then we come to today, we're in 15 and 16. Follow along as I read. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably break it up today instead of reading the whole context. We'll do it as we go. But in 15.1, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels and the seven last, with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them, God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They were... They held harps given to them by God, and they sang a song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. Let's talk about that before we move on. So we get into chapter 15, and John sees another heavenly sign. John saw seven angels with the seven last plagues. These are the bull judgments. So these are bulls or vials filled with God's wrath. And there's seven of them, and they're declared to be this is the last. The same word used when Jesus declared it is finished on the cross, when Jesus cried out, uh, and then later on he says it is finished. From the same word group, we get this saying in in Revelation that it is the last. And it's the last because it's finished. With this, it is finished. You ever got in trouble before when you were young? Uh, I mean, full disclosure, I grew up in a day and age where mom and dad beat you, right? I mean, mean, righteously, not unrighteously, but the belt came off. And I begged it always to be my dad. Oh, I wanted it to be my dad because my mom spanked with emotion. My dad spanked with authority, and it was very demonstrative. It was very 
My, my dad had a plan. Yeah, I mean, we gave him so many opportunities, he had to come up with a plan. So he knew, this is what we do. We go to this room, you do this, I do this, we do that, we do that, and you're out. It was very uh, demonstrative. I, I, I used to get spanked at school. Can you imagine that, Cole? Can you imagine that? My principal spanked me. Corporal punishment in America, in, my, in his office. My principal had a paddle on his wall. And they, they drilled holes through it for aerodynamics so they could really go cut through the air. And I got spanked in school. The older you got, they would bring all the athletic directors and the basketball coaches into the locker room. And the principal would spank you there. And it was a big ordeal. You got all these men. Well, because we're getting bigger, if we'd known better, I'd have broke that paddle. But I didn't know any better. I got spanked. And if you got spanked in school, you got spanked when you got home. That was just not fair. It just seemed like it never ended. You're, you're sitting there going, okay, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm toast. I already got spanked. But no, now you're going to go home and you're going to get spanked all over again. Because I grew up in a day and time, check this out, anybody under the age of 21, that if, if you got in trouble with adults, you were in trouble with your parents. Nowadays, the adults get in trouble by your parents because they think you're an angel and you wouldn't do anything. Back then, they knew the truth. We're rotten to the core. So I'd get spanked and spanked again. And I would pray it would be my dad because it was a plan, just like the locker room. It was all planned out. My dad, it was all planned out. My mom, my mom, when I got in trouble, if she started going to get a belt, I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. And my mom could not aim. She should be able to aim. You know, uh, Julie complains that the Jacksons have small behinds, but I mean, it's a big enough target. But my mom would hit it one out of every 10 times. It could be anywhere from the top of the shoulder to the, to the bottom of the... And those hurt worse. And she would get me good. And, and all this was punishment. Usually, most, most... Yeah, all the time. It was deserved. Deserved punishment. But we have in Revelation is not out of control and not out of emotion, but God's reaction. And he pours it out, seven final bulls, and it is finished if mom got a hold of the belt i wasn't sure when it would end dad i think he always knew it was going to be three whacks i think so i think it was always three whacks maybe five if it was a horrendous act but with mom you didn't know if it was going to be 10 12 because she was upset it was so upsetting to her with god you know he's going to say this is what i'm going to do and, and in the meantime, I'm being very patient and giving people time to repent and turn to me. I'm giving them every opportunity. I've never left them without a witness. I, I've warned. I've given opportunity for salvation. But people will perish. It's always what we see through Scripture. But even in that, God says, but it will only be this, no more. So I want you to remember that as we walk through this. John saw the tribulation martyrs in verses 2 and 4. He saw a great multitude there in heaven. And it contained the, the song of Moses, the swan song that Moses. And then we're going to move on to verses 5 through 8. John saw the temple opened. Verses 5 through 8. After this, I looked and I saw heaven and the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant of the law. It was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore gold sash around their chest. Let me stop there real quick. I, I, I never realized that most of our imagery we use comes out of the book of Revelation. In every church play I've been in where there's been an angel, they've been in white clothes with a gold sash, right? Like they won Miss, Miss uh, Heaven or something like that. And, you know, who else wears a sash, right? But, but they had sashes. 
Uh, and I, when I read this, I chuckled because, uh, I mean, Julie played an angel at our other church. We, we, had a big, we had the big wooden beams going across the church. And so we hit her at the top of a beam on the side, and then we swung her out on a cable. You talk about the things that pastor's wife gets stuck doing. I probably had to pay a lot for that one. But white gown, gold sash, right? So that's what we see in Scripture. That's where we get some of our imagery we use. And then it goes on to say, Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So we see the temple open. The temple would be a a reference to the Holy of Holies that we knew that the the people of Israel had, that only the the high priest could enter. At this point, only the glory of God himself is allowed in there. We're not having other people in this. And, And God gives his righteous justice is meted out from the Holy of Holies as these seven bowls full of God's wrath come. Then he hears a great voice, 16 verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. God's judgments are based on his glory and on his righteousness. Again, not on, not on out-of-control rage. This isn't God saying, you know, oh, I'm sick of these people. I'm really going to show that. No, it's not that at all. The contrast of God's glory and righteousness from the temple, from the Holy of Holies, with his justice that will be meted out is very clear. It's done in control. It's done in, in portion, bowls, seven bowls is what's going to be poured out. But he, it's going to be declared. And then we move into the bowl judgments, one at a time. Revelation 16, verse 2. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image first bowl judgment translation ugly and festering sores literal is bad and evil when they translated scripture you get these words and they try to make the most sense that they can and so they came up with ugly and festering which is probably a good translation but literally it meant um, bad and evil sores it it implies both external and internal these sores that are going to be on the people who took the mark of the beast. They're going to be ugly. So on the external, they're going to be quite nasty. But internally, where you can't see it, that's, that's the, the uh, uh, festering part. It, it's evil. There's an evilness uh, about this sores that enter into people's bodies. Uh, perhaps cancerous, we don't know. But it's an it's, it's, it's a ugly wound because it's external. But on the inside, it, it, it hurts. And apparently it's, it, it produces gnashing of the teeth in the people that are living. They're, they're, they're chewing on their tongues and their lips, trying to exist during this time because of these sores. We'll talk more about them in just a minute. The second bowl is in verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. At this point, the second, third, and fourth bowl judgments are like the second, third, and fourth trumpet judgments. Again, I told you, some of these things are, are telling what happened in different times, but in one view of it. And so this is very similar to what happens in the trumpet judgment, but it's different. It's like the second trumpet judgment, 
but not one third of the sea becomes blood. Actually, the whole thing becomes blood. And the whole thing, what is the thing? We can't tell you. We don't know for sure. Some people like to think that it's all water, right? It's all the oceans. It could be that. It could be local. It could be happening just there near Jerusalem, near Israel, which would be the Mediterranean Sea or the Sea of Galilee or one ocean or all oceans. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure. I tend to think that God's wrath is going to be poured out globally. Uh, I tend to think that Noah's flood was a global flood, not just a local flood. Uh, And so I can't tell you for sure. I can't say this is what I know. This is what I think. But but by all means, everybody living on the earth will know that they're in the tribulation times. And specifically, we're in the last three and a half years of the worst of the worst at this point. And they're going to be affected by this. Whether or not this is just right there where the Antichrist is on the throne in Jerusalem, I don't know. But instead of just one third of the sea becoming blood, now the entire thing turns to blood. And all the animals die. Obviously, they can't exist in blood. And so that is the second bowl judgment. The third bowl judgment, like the third trumpet judgment. The second, uh, the third angel poured out his bowl, we're in verse 4, on the rivers and springs of water, they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments, O holy one. You are, and who, and you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So the third bold judgments, like the third trumpet judgments, not one third of rivers, fountains, and springs become blood, but an entire tea becomes blood. Is this just local? Again, I don't know if this is just happening right there in Israel or if this is across the globe, but the whole world is affected by this. In the trumpet judgments, you can imagine how if a third, if a third of this judgment really made devastation in its fullness here, as these bowls of God's wrath are poured out, the full effects are being felt. And so as you look at what's happening here, the festering, ugly sores that people have, the, only the ones that have taken the mark of the beast, by the way, it's very clear, those who took the mark of the beast and are worshiping the Antichrist, they receive these sores in their bodies And now we have the the waters, the salt waters, and the fresh waters. And at this point, this is where somebody might say, this is horrific. God is out of control. And this is where I love that the angels made a declaration. There's angelic declarations here that God's action is just. The Bible says that the angel over the waters said, yes, this is right. They spilled the blood of your people, so they'll have to drink the blood. And it's a just act. The angels declare it. From the, throne, uh, from the throne room, the other one said, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Once again, I want to point out to you that what's being done is not out of control. It is being done, measured, and it's being told us ahead of time what will happen. Fourth bull, 16 verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bull on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, And they cursed the name of God who had control of these plagues, but they refused to repent and to glorify him. The fourth bowl is like the fourth trumpet. Remember the fourth trumpet? A third of the sun was struck, and so it was lessened. Uh, 
It was once lessened the heat of the sun, now it intensifies the heat of the sun. So there's a similarity, but they're different in the final judgment. We're pouring out all of God's wrath. Now he takes the sun, and it is not lessened like it had been. It is intensified, and people are scorched, seared by the heat. Uh, I don't know if you're uh, hot being on the beach type person or get away to Alaska in the mountains in the snow person, whatever you like for vacation. But either way, it seems to be a misery. Uh, if you can imagine having these sores all over your bodies that are both ugly and festering, both internal and external, and you can't escape it. Now the sun. Whew. Have you ever been out in the heat where you just can't escape the heat? Have you ever, anybody had sun poisoning or... Uh, experience that type of that's an ugly thing it just it just it takes over your body and, and these people are being scorched the bible says in the fourth bowl and the unsaved scorched refuse to repent they know it's god isn't this interesting at this point man they are all in they're all in they've decided i'm with the dragon and the antichrist and the false prophet i'm on team satan and they're all in even though they know and give assent to the fact that what they're facing comes from God himself. They're all out against God. And they refuse. They hate him. They, they, they're, they're declaring against him. And they refuse to repent. God has given them an ample opportunity in his mercy. But you can see at this time the bulls are being poured out. Because at this point there's no going back. These people are determined. They're with the dragon and the antichrist and the false prophet. We get to the fifth bowl which is in verse 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. So in this fifth bowl, a darkness comes, and it seems to start at the Antichrist throne and then spreads to everyone. It's like the beginning of a Michael Jackson song. Darkness comes across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Those of you who grew up in the, come on, Thriller. You don't remember Thriller? Yeah. Thriller. Love that beginning of that song. But darkness comes and it starts at the throne of the Antichrist. And then it kind of spreads out. And what are people doing in the darkness? Well, they're miserable. They're, they're sunburned, scorched. Uh, have you seen this? People get so sunburned, they blister. Have you seen that? And it, it just seems so painful. I have a, uh, an enduring memory of getting burnt during the summer once and, and being inside in the air conditioning in my house, but in front of a fan, just the coolness of the air blowing on me, and then the, and then the blisters come. I remember that. It was awful. Aloe vera all over your body, that green ointment, you know. Oh, miserable. Well, these people are miserable. They're sunburnt, scorched, sores festering all over them that hurt. They're ugly. And, and then now it's darkness darkness everywhere and darkness can be intimidating and, and whether you're afraid of the dark or not let's be honest the dark is the dark and you don't know what's out there right uh, when we were in Tennessee a couple of weeks ago uh, there were bear everywhere and so at nighttime I got excited we'd make sure we turn all the porch lights off but then I'd grab a flashlight and go out of the deck and shine hoping to see eyeballs right you know uh, then I'd run inside and be scared but <laughs> but you, darkness is darkness and we're in a time now where darkness is literal darkness. It's been a very dark world. We're living in dark times. But it's going to be literally dark, and people are going to be in agony, and they're going to curse the God of heaven. The sixth bowl comes in verse 12. 
The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. So in the sixth bowl, the Euphrates River dries up. Do I think it's the actual Euphrates River? Yes. Again, in apocalyptic literature, it's very difficult. What's literal and what's figurative? Uh, yesterday, we were listening to a book on audio on the way home, and some people mocked a Christian because they asked him, do you believe that the act- an actual dragon comes out of the sea, as quoted in Revelation? And the Christian didn't know what to say, and they're like, well, if the Bible says it, then yes, I believe it. And they were mocked, and I'm like, oh, silly. It, it's a figurative dragon. It's not a real dragon that comes out of the sea. It represents Satan. So you've got to know what is literal, what is meant to be figurative, what is meant to be illustrative, and what's meant to be... And I think at this point, because of the name given and the importance of the Euphrates River, I think this is a literal reference to the Euphrates River. Understand that in the ancient world, the Euphrates River was life. If you, I probably should have it on a map to show you. But life came from the water. You had to have water to have life. And the Euphrates River, the only thing akin to it would be the Mississippi, the great old Mississippi. And, and how the Mississippi divides kind of our country, right? We've got the, uh, the west and then east of the, you know, people talk about it. I live east of the Mississippi. I live west of the Mississippi. It's the dividing line. And Euphrates was that in, in the Mideast, a source of life. And, and John says specifically it dried up and the kings of the east were able to walk right into Jerusalem, the, the Mideast, where the Antichrist is at. So I think it is actually literal when he's talking about this. The kings of the east uh, move into the Middle East. This is told in Daniel 11.44. Again, you ought ought to look back to the Old Testament prophecies. In Daniel 11.44, he said the kings of the east will come and cause problems for the Antichrist. 20 years ago, friends, reading Revelation, I can't believe some of the fathers that we've had of, of our faith would read Revelation and they would have such understanding, but it had to be hard to believe. Today, it's not hard to imagine any of this happening. The kings of the east, who we're talking about, we're talking about Asia. Let me put the, the map up on there. Maybe you can see a little bit. So all of China, everybody from the Far East. We don't hear much of the Far East in the Bible, except for when Jesus was born. Remember, the Magi came from the east, and that's about it. It's not prominent in biblical times. Uh, 25 years ago probably wasn't prominent as much as it is today. And now today we hear the number one threat to the world is communist China. And they're a rising power and they're on the rise. And it always has bothered me in Revelation that, it, you know, where's America? I mean, America should be talked about. We're America. We're America. We're, I mean, come on, we rule the world. We're the policemen of the whole world. We got to be involved here somewhere. And some people try to find America in the Revelation. But I'm telling you, apparently America dwindles in power and influence and is not that big of a player at the end times. 20 years ago, I would have said, how could that be? Two weeks ago, I would have said, uh-huh, uh-huh. We're heading that way. We're heading that way. You know, a country turns into a communist socialist country either through attack and overcoming or just slowly making people dependent upon you as a nation. And isn't America becoming that? Yes, it is. If you keep listening to what's happening, more and 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 more of our people are being dependent upon the government for their existence. I know what happened in Detroit's awful, and we should be able to declare emergencies and step in and help people. But as they interviewed people last night, people already, within 24 hours, are like saying, where are the people to come help me? 
Where are the people to come help me? <laughs> we want to help. But if you think it's your right that everybody comes and bails you out, you're wrong. I mean, do you have insurance? And flood insurance is a pain, right? Because you've got to cover this yourself and it's a cost and nobody wants to have it. What do we want? We want the government to come and fix it for us. And I'm telling you, if America is not in the book of Revelation as a prominent player, it's because of the decline of America. And we're seeing that. Are we seeing the rise of the power from the east? Absolutely, we're seeing that. I don't know if you're paying attention to what's happening, but they are uh, uh, on the rise and will not stop. And apparently when the Euphrates River, we're talking about this whole big line of things, it's about as long as the Mississippi River is actually, uh, 1,700 miles, maybe I'm wrong about that. But it's a big river, and it dries up, and they're able to walk across. The number is about 200 million soldiers will walk across unabated. You might be saying, well, we got helicopter plane. They don't need the river to dry up. But if you can come across on land, it makes it very easy for 200, foot sol- 200 million foot soldiers to walk into there. And again, I point this out because Daniel said this is what was going to happen. They were going to walk right in and cause problems for the Antichrist. So we get to a parentheses period, 16 uh, verses 13 through 16. Like all the other ones... Uh, the judgments, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgment. We get to the six of the judgments and then there's a pause. This one, the bold judgments, has a very short pause. And here's the, the parentheses period. Uh, verse 13. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. That's a quote from Scripture. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. What do we have here in the parentheses? Period, a demonic influence gathering of the nations to wage war against God in the valley of Megiddo. The kings of the east has, has come over. I mean, the Antichrist is ruling the world for Israel at this point. And the kings of the east, which uh, I think they're on a, uh, a hunt to take over the world themselves, they come over marching in probably to take over from the Antichrist, but end up all being together. And now all the nations of the world have troops. Everybody's gathering over in Israel, and there's going to be a huge battle and it's going to be waged against god himself and so the preparations are being made six bold judgments have been poured out and here's what the john sees in the parentheses period before we get to the seventh bowl and then we conclude with the seventh bowl the seventh bowl i ran out of room on that one so i can make the seventh bowl its own page in the seventh bowl verse 17 it says the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying it is done then, the, then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. Such a tremendous earthquake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away. Mountains could not be found. And from the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. Well, as we started this discussion in 15 and 16, we heard the words, it is finished. 
the beginning of the end is coming, and now we hear a declaration, with this last bowl, it is done. And the angel pours out the final bowl of God's wrath, and it is horrendous. There's a mammoth earthquake, one that the earth has never seen, the Bible says. So we've seen some big earthquakes, some 7.0s, maybe even a little bit larger. Uh, this is on the magnitude of twice that. It, 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 it literally divides Jerusalem into three parts. The city is torn into three parts. And then the cities of the nations collapse. It's awful what's happened in Florida. I'm sure if you watched any of the news, uh, how in the world could, in America, a building just collapse? My wife keeps saying, somebody blew that up. Uh, but, but we don't know. I mean, it, it just fell down, and, and that's scary to us. We're supposed to have building codes. We're supposed to have safety and our trust in our buildings. Uh, it collapsed. And we're watching that in horror, hoping they can find survivors, 159 people missing. That's horrific. And you see the people walking with buckets and putting rubble in and trying to find people. Imagine that. That's one building in South Florida. Imagine that worldwide. Buildings will fall. Cities will collapse. Remember back in the 80s when the, the California and then the, the highways collapsed on each other? It was awful. But that was very small compared to globally. We're talking globally. Cities will just fall into rubble reducing mountains to landslides tidal waves will destroy oceans if you've ever watched any of these movies the big big buck movies on tv that talk about the end times they really try to show this and they've done some incredible things of showing tidal waves coming in and wiping out cities and earthquakes and the damage uh, all of this i imagine uh, the writer of the movie at some point read through revelation and they got their cues from what's coming and you can kind of envision how awful it's going to be when this seventh bowl is poured out. On top of that comes hail. As Julie and I drove home, we were right in between those two storms, and both of them are producing tornadoes, and we know hail's there. I kept saying, we got to stay in front and behind of it because I don't want my truck to get hailed. I mean, that's all I'm worried about. I don't want my truck to get any dents in it. And so, you know, I don't want the hail. And, of course, when we're thinking hail, we're thinking like what? You know, yeah. has anybody here been in hail before? Okay, has anybody been in golf ball size hail before? Have you experienced that? Have you seen what golf ball size hail does? I mean, I, I think of the car lots after a hailstorm like that, and they're all destroyed. The windows are out. There's little dents all over the place, and you can buy a cheap car after that, right? By the way, don't buy a cheap used car in Detroit in the next couple of months either, okay? Because <laughs> they're going to be wet. <laughs> but this hail that comes down is not hail. It's not golf ball hail it's not even what we've heard some people say softball sized hail we're talking a hundred and some pound hailstones we're, we're talking don't worry about your car getting a dent worry about your car being put in two a <laughs> hundred pound thing coming from the sky at who knows what's the terminal velocity i don't know what that speed is it's coming fast you don't want that hitting your vehicle you don't want it hitting you you I can't imagine. In total, I'm envisioning these people with these ugly, festering sores, which would be horrific enough to live with because it's in you and on you all the time. But now they're in complete darkness. And now cities are crumbling. People are being covered in rubble. And you've got uh, islands are gone, can't be found. Mountains, what mountains? They're flattened. And you've got 
hail coming down, 100 pounds. Again, I've said it, and some people will say, well, you're just an escapist. You, you just don't want to be here. Yeah, I don't want to be here. I pray that I'm not here. If I'm wrong about this and pre-millennial or, or, or pre-tribulation is wrong and we're going to be here through this, God help us all. I don't understand how it could possibly be that we face all of God's wrath when he told us, accept Jesus and you will not face my wrath. So I'm believing in the character of God and that what he says here is that he will pour out his judgments on those who deserve it at that point. Do I deserve God's wrath? Yes, I do, but something happened. I'm not better than these people, but I was promised Jesus. And when I took Jesus as my Savior, he replaced my receiving of the wrath. He took it on my behalf. What would the purpose be of Jesus taking the full wrath of God if we were going to have to experience it anyway? I truly, truly, in my heart of hearts, and this is not a a biblical issue where I'm saying mine is superior to yours. I think if we disagree, we can still be friends. But in my heart of hearts and my mind of minds, I can't comprehend a God that would pour out his wrath on somebody who he's forgiven and declared will never face his wrath. But for those who are there, this would be horrific. And it's not the end because they refuse to repent and war is going to come. There's going to be a battle. Millions and millions and millions of people. We've got 200 million that walked over from, from the east. And now we've got all the nations of the world gathered. And we're going to meet. They're going to meet in this battleground in the Valley of Megiddo. And there's going to be an incredible war. That's where this whole thing is heading. Is it out of control? It's not. It's measured. As awful as it sounds, take solace in the fact that God says, here is going to be the punishment. I'm telling you what it is ahead of time, and that is all it will be. I'm not going to lose control. I'm not going to rage. I am going to send the full fury of my wrath because of my righteousness, but it is just and true. As you leave today, those two words, I want to stay with you, just and true. Who said his judgments are just and true? Two angels. Moses declared it, and he faced God's punishment, and he said it's just and true. This past week I met with somebody and we were talking about life and things and and the person was sharing with me that they're they're still 30 years later facing repercussions of their past. We all got past, amen? And if you got a past, you're in a safe place because we all got past. Oakwood is full of people that have bad pasts. Some people have done things where they're facing consequences 30 years, some later. I'm not getting into the details. But this person looked at me as he was, I was actually getting frustrated because I know this person. This is a good man. A good man. A good man I would trust anything at Oakwood with, anything with my family with. He's a good man. And as he's telling me that 30 years some later, he's still facing the punishment of his past. I was getting angry and saying, this isn't right. We should change this. And you know what? He looked up at me and says, hey, pastor, don't think that I'm complaining about it. I did what I did and I get what I get. And I heard Moses' song. I was wrong. And this is what happens. You need to know this world that is against God will declare their loyalty to the to the beast is against god and it will end poorly and god says this is what will happen and he will do it but he'll do what he says he's going to do nothing more and it's not out of control
It's not out of rage. If you've been in an abusive home where your parents, as I talked about spanking today, I want to let you know my mom and dad never abused me. Even my mom with her, when she was emotional, I mean, come on. I was getting spanking and I was deserving of it. It was not abuse. Some of you grew up in abusive homes and when you hear of this, you might, might flash you back to an abusive. What you hear today is just and true. God made sure the angels declared it just and true. Right, not wrong, it's right. Moses himself sang the song that God is right even when it hurts. And I face what I face because of my actions. That's what you're seeing here in the book of Revelation. Righteous anger, not unrighteous anger. I'll ask the band to come, be ready to close us out in a song as we head out today. Hopefully you leave not in the darkness of what we've read, but in the hope and in the, the light of the fact that that wrath will not come upon you. And if you've not accepted salvation through Jesus Christ, you need to do that today. He is our hope while we still have breath and while we still have life in our, in our veins. He is the hope. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. If you ask him to forgive your sins, he will forgive you, the Bible says. Come into your life and claim you as his own. That's what's happened for me. So while I deserve all the things mentioned in Revelation 15 and 16, I'm praying and counting on God's character to keep me from that because of Jesus. I pray you can do that too. Let me pray for you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing on the scripture today. I know that we've been promised a blessing from reading it, and it might seem uh, just discouraging, but God, I pray we'd be encouraged to know you are who you say you are. You are the God who was and is and for whoever will be, and you do not change. We're so thankful for that. We're thankful for your righteousness, but we absolutely live in and love your grace and mercy. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.